Oh, thank you, Jesus. Man, what will we do without Jesus? Man? What will we do without the King? Oof. I don't even want to think about it. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. God is calling us into a place that is life. And the things that God calls us into are based upon our ability to trust his character in what he's calling us into. So when God speaks to us and calls us out of something, he's always calling us into something else. And my reluctance to go is not based upon um, what God's calling me into. My reluctance to go is based upon my misconceived notions about who God is. And so God wants to remove, before he calls us into things, remove those doubts and remove those wrong beliefs about him so that when he calls us into the thing, we will be a proper representative of God the Father and who he is. So when God begins to speak to our hearts and call us into things, first off we do is we try to step right into it and rush right into it. How many of you have got out ahead of God and just got all burnt out and all twisted up because he said something and you took action? I want you to know that when God calls us into something, he's bringing us into relationship and dialogue about the thing he's telling us to do. That what he's trying to do is start a conversation with us that would reveal our wrong beliefs about him so that when we do figure out who he is, we can step out into the thing as representatives of God the Father. And that's what Jesus was here to do. Jesus was here to reveal the Father. He was here to tell us what the Father was like. He was here to show us this is how far the Father's willing to go. This is him hanging on a cross. This is what God is all about. He's all about showing himself mighty to his people as a God of grace, as a God of love, as a God that will lay down his life for his friends. And this is the relationship that God calls us into with him. But what's got to happen before we step into life is that we have to have a better perspective of who God is than we have right now. Because we are limited to our, in our perspective of God when we don't know who God is, we're never going to properly represent him in the earth. So that's why God has to make a covenant first with our eyes before anything else. That God is calling us into a covenant with our eyes. That we wouldn't see the way the world sees, but that we would see the way God sees. And through those eyes, we would perceive everything around us. But in order to do that, God has to remove things I'm trusting in. He has to remove structures that I've put my faith in. He has to remove some people that I've been leaning on for too long so that I can step into the thing with him and understand that God is God and, and his character is for me and his glory. And this is the place where God is getting us to. He's changing our perspectives. This was the issue with Adam and Eve. The Bible says Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and it was pleasing to her sight. 
How many things look good, but they ain't good? Huh? So that leads me to think, what did the tree of life look like? It probably looked like a bloody cross. <laughs> See, when we operate by what it looks like, we are confused by our circumstances, and the devil slips into those circumstances and begins to manipulate with his lies and convince you that God's not good and that he's not a father. So he enters into the chaos of the world when God's trying to do some amazing things and he slips in his lies into that chaos and then we start believing it. Then everything we view, we view from a wrong point of view and a wrong perspective. And when we begin to view things from that wrong perspective, we suddenly are limited in what we can do for the Lord and what he's called us to do in the life that he has for us. And then we end up having negative attitudes. We end up walking around with a cloud around us instead of walking in the life that God gives us. We end up being negative and, and critical towards anything and everything. We pick apart our wives. We pick apart our lives. We pick apart our job. We pick apart our coworkers. And before you know it, Satan's already got us because we've already pushed everybody out of our life because of our nitpicking and because of our uh, attitudes that there's no way the life of God is going to be attractive to anybody. All in the guise of, I'm right, and I'm holy, and I'm good. Because that's what the knowledge of good and evil did. It gave us the ability that we think we know what's better. That we can judge what's good and evil, and then we can presuppose that onto everything else. When they took of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, it rendered them to the place where they were going to be the judge of everything. When there's one judge, and that's Jesus, that's King Jesus. So Satan wants to slip in and begin to change our perspectives and our circumstances. But here's what God wants to do. God wants to elevate our perspective and get our eyes on him. Now suddenly when my eyes are on him and I'm viewing things from the throne room, suddenly everything looks like a possibility of a miracle. And it's so, it's so replete in the scripture, I don't even have enough time to even go talk about it. But you want to hear the gospel in the first two verses of the Bible? In the beginning was God, and God created the heavens and the earth. You can check this out. And God hovered over the, the sea, right? He hovers over the waters, and the earth is without form and void. That God is hovering over chaos. <laughs> It's like God is attracted to what we would not be attracted to. So God's hovering over chaos, and the first thing he says is, let there be light. And Paul catches on to this, because he says in Corinthians, he talks about the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. But he says that the gospel has come as a statement once again to be, let there be light. That God created in the picture of creation the way Jesus Christ was going to create our salvation from the cross and from the resurrection and from the ascension. So God is attracted to chaos and he looks at it and he's not repulsed by it. He puts his hands right in the middle of the ooze and says, let there be light. 
And he starts lighting up that which has been dark. And then immediately begins to put order to it. And he begins to separate this from this. See, he understands that all this chaos within it is the possibility of something great if it could just be ordered right. And that's why Jesus comes in and he tries to order our lives with statements like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus is coming in as the creator God and saying, if you will order this first, I'll begin to put order and structure to every other part of your life. And what you called chaos, you'll look back and say, thank God that that happened because that built up something in me to show the the demonstration of God's power and his deliverance. So now I can be a herald of righteousness And what I saw as a curse, I now see as a testimony of God's goodness and his grace. And here's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to tell you, you're too chaotic. You're too crazy for God. You done messed it up too bad. He'll begin to feed you lies about other people even talking about you when nobody's even talking about you. He'll begin to do things to to get you to walk in a fence and and whatever else. He tries to get his lies sewed into our circumstances so that we don't see the goodness of God and we don't see what God is actually up to and what he's trying to do in our lives. This is what God is wanting to do. He's wanting to change our perspective. That he's given us glimpses of heaven, not to give us strength to hold on here so we get up there, but he's given us glimpses of heaven so that we would take what's up there and begin to pull it up down to here. I don't want to get tangled up into something I can't get out of, so I might have to back up a little bit. Isaiah 6, verse 1. Isaiah gets a glimpse. He gets a glimpse. The first five chapters of Isaiah, he's saying, woe is the drunkard. Woe is this guy. Woe is that guy. Woe. I mean, he is just letting them have it. And a lot of people say that, a lot of scholars say that Isaiah 6 was actually the initial call that he got from God, which lets me know that maybe he prophesied the first five chapters based out of an operation of what he saw was right and wrong and not out of a glimpse of the throne room and that being his motivation for his prophecies from then on. That we can do ministry outside of getting glimpses of the throne room of God. So we wonder why nobody wants to go to heaven. We ain't got a glimpse and brought it down to them. Isaiah 6.1, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Seated on a high elevated throne, the hem of his robe filled the temple. Now, King Uzziah was a a major figure. He was a major player. 
He was probably in the top five kings in Judah's history. He had created peace and safety. He had fortified the wall around the city to protect them from the enemies. He had built war machines that would keep the enemies at bay. The Bible says that he walked after his father David in the ways of God. That Uzziah means Yah is my strength. God is my strength. But something happened to Uzziah in his reign. Is he had a really good start, but he began to get boastful and prideful about his strength. And he turned from Yah as his strength to I am my strength. And he begins to operate in his own flesh and he begins to be boastful and prideful about the success that he has given in his country. And anytime God begins to do something, he's, is he, is he co-labors with us. He does it with us. And what can happen in that is we can forget that God's working through us and we can start to believe that it's us making it happen. Whenever that happens and you, use, you lose your humility and your yieldedness to God, suddenly you're now operating with the power and the anointing because the callings of God are without repentance. You begin operating in that power, but yet it's motivated by flesh and selfishness. And when you begin to motivate in the power, when you're motivated in the power of God, but your motivation is flesh and self, suddenly you're still operating in power and you think it's God with you, but in actuality it's his gifting and he's already departed. That this is the picture of Samson where he's still able to do all these awesome things even though he's not walking into the power and relationship with God being yielded to his commands. That you can experience a level of power, but you better never think that that is the evidence that God is with you. The only evidence that you are walking with God is this, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If you're not walking in those, I don't care how loud you're yelling, I don't care how many people you're pushing down, I don't care how many people you're grabbing by the lapels and saying, bop, 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 you know, whatever you got going, I don't care what's going on here. You need to know that if you're not walking in the love of God, you're operating in a power, but it's not of God, it's of the flesh. And so what if you're seeing some results? It's not of God. So Uzziah kept on walking in this. And the further we walk in it, the more independent we get from God. And we begin to operate in a gift that we think is ours. And we don't realize just this. It's a gift. Your ability to operate in the gifts does not confirm your spirituality. You know why? Because they're called the gifts of the Spirit. You don't earn a gift. It's given to you. Let me tell you something. You earn character. That's why Jesus said, deny yourself and take up your cross. If you're trying to walk with God, you better have some scars right here. 
You better have been rubbed raw right here. So Uzziah is still walking in this, this thing. So he gets the idea that I'm going to burn incense in the temple. I'm going to burn incense in the temple. Only the priest could burn incense in the temple. But the king had elevated himself past his place where he was supposed to be. And begin to try to operate in a place where he wasn't meant to be. See, being a king, you change things from the outside in by passing laws. But when you're a priest, you change things from the inside out by ministering unto the Lord. And these two things got convoluted for Uzziah. So Uzziah gets some incense and he goes to go into the temple to offer them on the altar. And the priests try to stop him. You can't, you can't go there, Uzziah. That's not your place. That's not your place, Uzziah. You can't go there. You've got to stay in your lane. You've got to stay into the role in which God has called you. And you don't have to rush off into these other things and pretend you're righteous or pretend you're already righteous. And I think what happens sometimes is we hide behind our giftings because they earn us some kind of credibility or some kind of righteousness and then we try to live through those things and get a show and get a, get a performance of people to feel better about us than we feel about ourselves. And the real reality is we're operating in so much insecurity that it ends up backfiring on us. That the harder we try, the more inauthentic it becomes and the more we have to push and operate in the flesh to fool people. So he wouldn't listen, and all the priests are trying to hold him back and stop him. He offers the incense. The Bible says he's struck with leprosy. And from that day on, Uzziah had to live in a separate palace and could never come into the contact of his people ever again. See, when we operate outside of the place that God's called us to, we end up losing the place that he already has us in. So he went from trying to push it to now he can't even do what he was originally doing. When the word came down that Uzziah died, this was a picture of like, what are we going to do? Uzziah kept us safe. Uzziah did things for us that nobody else could do. Uzziah was the best thing since maybe David. <laughs> so there's a shaking going on within the kingdom. 
shaking. And in the middle of that shaking, when we feel like Uzziah is the thing that's going to save us, he falls and then Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. See, Isaiah got a throne room perspective so that he could operate within the shaking and see what God was actually up to. What happens to us is we get knocked so sideways from the shaking and by the enemy's lies that we forget that that's our opportunity to see the Lord and find out what the Lord's doing. Because anytime the Lord begins to shake his people, anytime he begins to shake things up, he doesn't do it in a way that just casts us off. He's shaking things up to build something new that's even better. He's doing something new that it's going to be even better. So if you're feeling the shaking of God in your life right now, you need to know something. You need to be assured of something, that he's trying to remove something that's old, and he's trying to bring you into something that is brand spanking new. And if you'll let go of the old, guess what? You won't fall off with that shaking. If you'll hang on to him, you'll find out what's unshakable. And everything that's shaken, when it's gone, you'll look, and it's you and him, and he wants to do something new in that. It's the power of one person walking with God. Think if everybody did that. I mean, look at Abraham. <laughs> he was just a normal Joe. God says, come to this place that I'm calling you. And the Bible says that Abraham went even though he didn't know where he was going. <laughs> See, sometimes you don't know where you're going. But you need to know you can't stay here. So one man's obedience with God ends up resulting in an entire nation. And not just an entire nation, a global worldwide religion <laughs> where the Messiah comes through the lineage. From what? One normal man that says, God, I'll go. And we'll walk in relationship. And God, I'll keep hearing when you keep talking. See, what happens sometimes is we quit listening and we live off the revelation to where we stopped when God had a lot more revelation to bring us into and begin to bring us into the new things. Think if Abraham would have stopped listening when God said, offer your son as a sacrifice. How many people have we sacrificed because we quit listening? God said, go offer your son. And he says, no, stop what you're doing. That God is calling us into this walk and this relationship with him that is real time, listening to his voice and really being led by him. And what's the significance of it? 
God's creating a people and a nation. And you're in on it. <laughs> to the level that you want to be. So you got to quit blaming other people for things. You're as close to God as you want to be. It's not the pastor's fault. It's not anybody's fault. But see, this is an invitation for us to step into relationship with the King of glory and him to begin to show us what he wants to do through us. And then when you spend enough time with him, your perspective begins to change and you begin to see things the way he does. And this is Jesus' whole ministry. He's always looking at his disciples and says, how long must I be with you? Wow. <laughs> He's trying to get them to get it. And it's the same with us. He's patient with us, and he's called us on a journey, and he's wanting us to get it. And he's wanting us to let the conversation reveal what he's actually doing and what he's actually saying. I love that story where the, I think it's James and John. Yeah, I'm pretty sure is where these Samaritans are, have rejected them and said to go from their town. And then James and John go to Jesus and say, do you want us to call down fire from heaven? Probably had their WWED, what would Elijah do? Bracelets. <laughs> you want us to call down fire from heaven? <laughs> they probably thought they were spiritual. Jesus says, you don't even know what spirit you're of. <laughs> but Jesus did call fire from heaven. You know when? Acts chapter 8, Philip goes and preaches to Samaria, and then he calls John to come lay hands on them so they get filled with the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost. So the fire Jesus wanted to call was a Holy Spirit fire, not a judgment fire. You see why it's important to follow Jesus and know what he's saying? Because it can look really righteous and zealous. Think about Peter. They're about to attack and arrest Jesus, and Peter gets a sword, and he cuts off the ear. This would be like a fisherman would be like, like me taking on a SWAT team with like a butter knife or something like that. It can look really like bold and righteous, but Jesus has to grab Peter, to grab the ear that he cut off and put it back on his head. He has to undo the thing that Peter was doing. See, Peter's problem wasn't a boldness problem. And some of you think if I was bolder, I could do what God had called me to do. No, if you were bolder, you would do more in the flesh and cause more harm than what. You need more gentleness is what you need. God doesn't want a bull in the china closet tearing everything up. That ain't righteous. That isn't righteous. Running around like a chicken with your head cut off is not righteous. Not resting in him, is that's unrighteous. 
So it looked bold, but you know what? It wasn't that Peter was afraid because he was willing to die right there. You know what Peter wasn't willing to do? To look like a fool like Jesus and be naked on a cross. See, when our perspective doesn't change, we look at the cross and we just feel sorry for Christ. And from the earth looking up, it looks like judgment. But the Bible tells us, Jesus said himself, that if I be lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, this is actually my coronation as a king, and I'm being lifted and placed up on my throne to solidify my place in history for all history. We see it as, oh, man, that's terrible. And God's like, oh, man, I'm building a family. I'm taking back over the earth. This is the flag that gets put down that says, I'm going to consume the whole earth with my glory. But see, when we're looking from the perspective of down up, we miss it all together. So the Bible tells us that we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places in order to show the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God to the earth. So when we take our place seated at the right hand of God and we look down, suddenly the cross becomes the most glorious event of all human history. See, when we change our perspective, the whole event changes. The whole moment changes for the glory of God. So God's wanting us to get a glimpse of his throne room. So that we can begin to see what God's doing in the earth. So that we can begin to see what he's up to. Because I'm going to tell you something. He's up to some good stuff. <laughs> he's up to some really good stuff. And he wants you in on it. He wants you in on it. Put you in on it. God wants to do a work in, in your heart and in your life that's just amazing. So if your life feels like it's going off the rails, you're in a good place. Because now you can let go of what you were trusting and start trusting on God. This is what God wants to do in your heart and in your life. Jesus is always up to something bigger. He's always up to something bigger. Just don't misinterpret what he's doing. Because anything he asks for, he's got something better to give to you. I love that when Jesus rides in on a donkey triumphal entry people start ascertaining this is Zechariah 9-9 the Messiah's here and they go cut palms They're waving these palms and laying their cloaks where he won't even have to walk on the mud or the dirt and they're screaming out Hosanna 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 save us now and wouldn't you know it, Jesus did something they weren't expecting. See, they thought he was going to ride in and take a right and go into the courts of the Romans and overthrow the Roman government 
and set the Israeli people free. But do you know what Jesus did? He goes up in the church and starts turning over tables in the church. <laughs> like, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus is saying, when you see what I'm going to do, you're going to not even think about this temple anymore. Because what I'm tearing down here, I'm going to build back something so miraculous that you're not even going to be able to understand and comprehend it. Time we got. Ooh, I got five minutes. Y'all know I'm lying. Y'all know I'm going to go 10. You already know. You already know. But it makes me feel better to give you hope. You disappointed in me? Okay. Revelation 4, they tell John, come up here. Come up here. Quit walking around down there. I got something to show you what I'm up to. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and you hear these things, man, it's easy to get like kind of scared about what's going on. But Jesus says things like this. These are just the birth pangs. In other words, I'm bringing something to life even though there's all this chaos all around. And I think that's what God's saying to us. Come up here. Get a look of heaven. Because that's what I'm up to. And that's what I want to establish on the earth. In Revelation 21, we, we talked about this Wednesday, but I just, I'm just, was just been enamored with this. Revelation 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven final plagues came and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's us. <laughs> Now check this out. Check, check out how he describes the bride. So he took me away in the spirit to a huge mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. The city possesses the glory of God. Its brilliance is like a precious jewel. Like a stone of crystal clear jasper, it has a massive high wall with 12 gates, with 12 angels at the gates, and the names of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel are written on the gates. There are three gates on the east side, three gates on the north side, three gates on the south side, and three gates on the west side. The wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them are 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who spoke to me had a golden measuring rod with which to measure the city and its foundation stones and wall. Now the city is laid out as a square. Its length and width were the same. He measured the city with the measuring rod at 1,400 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured the wall 144 cubits according to human measurement, which is also the angel's. The city's wall is made of jasper, and the city is pure gold like transparent glass. 
The foundations of the city's wall are decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation is jasper. The second foundation is sapphire. The third is agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysophrase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each one of the gates is made from just one pearl. The main street of the city is pure gold like transparent glass. Now I saw no temple in the city because the Lord God, the all-powerful, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need sun or the moon to shine on it. It's not, it doesn't need anything to live because the glory of God lights it up and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their grandeur into it. Its gates will never be closed during the day and there will be no night there. There will bring grandeur and the wealth of the nations into it, but nothing ritually unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or practices falsehoods, but only only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That sounded like an awesome city, right? And that's where we're headed. It's a perfect square. The only thing that's a perfect square in the Bible, a perfect cube, is the Holy of Holies. So it's saying this is the most intimate place with God and the whole city is like this. But did you read what the very first verses that I read said? The angel calls to John and says, let me show you my bride. But that wasn't a picture of a city. That was a picture of you, the place where God wants to dwell. Did you hear how he went in describing the wife of the lamb? How beautiful she is. See, when you get a heavenly perspective, you'll call people into that reality and quit telling them how crummy they are. We built ministries on making people feel guilty and bad about themselves so that they'll be subservient to our ministries. God is calling a new day to where he empowers people and people begin to walk into the thing that God's called them into because they realize they're not going to a place. They are the place in which God wants to dwell. You are the beautiful city where God wants to dwell. And it's all through the scriptures. You are a city set on a hill that lights up the world. You are the light of the world. You are the bride. And God's not mad at you. He's saying, would you drop a knee and let me beautify you into that picture? Would you just surrender and drop what you got? What do you got anyway? Come on now. It's all going to burn up. It's all going to burn up unless it's of God. What are you hanging on to? Some of you are building things and they're just idols that you can't let go of. And God's saying, why don't you build something with me? Something that you won't worship and find your worth in, but something that's actually worthwhile and eternal in nature that will give you rewards in heaven. 
think I just see like God like just rolling up his sleeves and saying, let's get to work. Come on, we got some work to do. We got some work to do. Come on, get in here with me. You think about God is, he don't ask us to do things he ain't already done. The Bible says he's been tempted with every temptation just like us, but yet without sin. So he empathizes with us because he knows how hard it is to walk this thing out as a man or a woman. But that's our high priest. That's our high priest. He just loves us so much. God, we just, we just ask you to come. You're already here, but just make your presence known, God.